you get more people to say the same thing then the voice gets louder you can all whisper it a hundred thousand people can whisper something it'll be louder than one person yelling it you know ear snacks <laughs> ear snacks for parents hi hi i'm andrew and i'm polly and our children are downstairs this is an episode of ear snacks for parents ear snacks for parents are you a parent are you a child do you know one do you know a child? Are you are you child adjacent, but not child self? Hmm. If you are child self, maybe tell a parent. Yeah. This is not your thing. Tell a parent. Something is wrong with my. Tell ear a parent you today. want a different episode. Um. Though sometimes our kid listens to ear snacks for parents during her independent time. It's not inappropriate. No, it's not inappropriate. We promise not to be inappropriate. However, we are talking about some adult conversations in an adult tone, so your child might be like. Hang on. Why aren't they pretending to be bad guys and other fun stuff? Why are they saying long sentences? Right. That are all in a row. Where the music. Where the music. Where the fun. Where the fun is. Where other kids' voices. To that I say, hmm. welcome to Tuesday. <laughs> um, it's anyway. Been, it's been a while since we've said hello to it's you. It's been a while. Hi. How you doing? I don't know what you've been up to. We have been hanging out with our two kids and we had a third. So mm. now we hang out with her too. Yep. Um, we get no work done. But we're trying to start including this very important work that we um, have been doing on our own. Um, we have been doing in community with others. And some of you have been doing yourselves as well. And some of you are maybe considering it and some of you might not have started yet but want to or it might not be on some of your radar it's work that we are all somewhere on a journey of and that is anti-racist work dismantling racism yes which we feel we have an obligation to do as humans you're either doing it or you're not doing it and we also feel we have an obligation to do i'm speaking we me and andrew mm -hmm. um we feel we have an obligation to do as parents, um, as partners. And as people who create media for children. That's right. So um, we are committed to doing it and uh, want to do some of it with you um, today. And the way we thought of doing it was by having a conversation with some people who have been doing this work for a long time. Alphabet Rockers, led by Caitlin McGaw and Tommy Shepard, in collaboration with Youths in the Bay Area. This intergenerational group creates brave spaces to shape a more equitable world through hip hop. They are Grammy nominated, twice Grammy nominated, mm -hmm. is that right? And their albums inspire American kids and families to stand up to hate and be their brave and beautiful selves. They have a wonderful anti-racist curriculum for families. Um, that's meant for all generations of families. It's called We Got Work To Do. We Got Work To Do. Come on, y'all. You can find it right on their website. Alphabetrockers.com Those of you who feel like you're already up on this conversation, we didn't want to let the whole episode go without mentioning it towards the top because it's 
a great resource for this important work. This episode is a largely unedited conversation for grown-ups. Um, nothing inappropriate, but geared towards parents and those who work with children. And we're planning to follow this up with an episode geared towards children. So if you listen to both this episode and our follow-up episodes, you'll notice that we're going to lift some of the content today and put it directly into that episode. But this is a conversation as we had it. Actually, it's the second conversation we had. Before this, we had an hour-long conversation about me and Andrew's personal work, anti-racist work, and where we were on our journey in anti-racist work and what our intent was in doing work in this space. This is a conversation that's not perfect. We are trying um, to do work, like many of you, that's really hard. And one of the reasons it's hard is there's no answer yet. Some of you will have talked about this already with your partner and your kids. Some of you have been thinking this inside your head, maybe. Some of you have had these thoughts, but maybe, like me, you're not sure of what words might be most change-making to use um, or least harmful to use. So we're all somewhere doing this, and we hope that this conversation encourages you to do more, wherever you are, um, to do more work. We're hoping that any of these lines of conversation could help with uh, the way your family thinks about anti-racism. This conversation happened between the four of us, and I don't know what part of our identities matters to you in this conversation and what part influences the conversation we had. But to disclose, uh, this conversation happened between the four of us, and we don't talk a lot about our identities in Ear Snacks. But this is a good time to do that. Me and Andrew. Yeah. Um, with me, Polly Hall, a cisgendered white female, and Andrew. Andrew Barkan, a cisgendered white male. The Alphabet Rockers are talking about their identities all the time. That's what their music is made of. Mm-hmm. But we know that our identities form the work that we do and the lens that we view the world in the lenses because we have different lenses Mm -hmm. um but we can work on our lenses seeing them noticing them um yeah yeah okay all right without further ado we're gonna roll the tape here we go here we go what's up there they are hey (laughs) let's do this okay (laughs) what are we doing well In this episode of Ear Snacks, we're talking about a lot of important things. We have been talking about the Black Lives Matter movement and some protests that some of our friends went to. And even more than that, we're wanting to talk about um, some things that I don't necessarily even have the words for. Are you having trouble finding words, Polly? Yeah, and I thought maybe that would be a good place to start is I'm wondering what are some words that could help us have conversation with each other today Ooh, interesting good question sometimes when we don't have the words for something it's because we haven't heard people talk about it enough so sometimes we hear about people's histories that we want to learn more about and we don't know the names yeah or we get really excited about a style of music and we don't know what it's called or the instrument so you know learning about how to be a real advocate for change especially around anti-racism is learning some new words, but the words are just, you know, sometimes just the toppings. 
It's really about what you're doing underneath. What's an advocate? Oh, well, an advocate is someone who understands that someone has a problem and they want to help them out with that problem, whether they can use a certain privilege they have to to um, activate to help that problem, or if they feel like they have the same problem too and they feel some solidarity to it. That's a good first word to use. And I think I would like to be an advocate and I want to use language that helps have conversation about it. And I also want to be able to do, Caitlin, what you mentioned, which is not just be on the toppings, but really do do work underneath. So what kind of work does that advocate have an opportunity to do or even a responsibility to do? It's really good questions. And actually, I think a great question to start with is, is the world really fair? Because sometimes, you know, we might hear stories where um, somebody wasn't treated fairly in the past, but then, you know, a superhero came along and everything got better. But when we talk about things like racism, which is the world we've all been born into in um, around the world, you didn't get to choose that, right? You didn't get to choose that. So one question is, do you think the world is fair? And if so, how? And how is it unfair? Who is it fair for? If it's fair for you and it's not fair for someone else, doesn't that mean that it's actually not fair for anyone? Do you have any examples of entry points into conversations like that with young people? Oh, this is a great example. Hmm. I've been really thinking about this. It's a hundred years ago that women got the right to vote. And I'm putting quotes in the air, even though you're on the radio. Actually, that's only some women, right? That's white women who are people who are perceived to be white. Black women did not get the right to vote on that day. And there was voter suppression for many years. This is really important to all of us. I'm sure you're reading the books. There's plenty of books about the Civil Rights Act and the Civil Rights Movement of the 60s. But sometimes people forget to continue the story to this day. For example, just with voting, a crucial thing, a right of citizenship has been changed by laws and people make an effort to keep black people from voting. Hmm. I believe that is the definition of, of voter suppression is when you create laws and when you create narratives uh, that everyone abides by that stops you from being able to vote, even though they say you can vote. They come up with these excuses and these things that really puts obstacles in your way and um, makes you either not want to vote or actually literally can't because of the restrictions that are put upon your vote. We have votes in our house on the regular now about what movies to watch. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people don't get to participate in that conversation for some reason, and they feel very left out when they do not get mm. their votes counted. Right, and sometimes you'll see it in family with power where like parents get to choose things and they don't give yeah. kids ch a chance to, to voice themselves. Now these are things that don't affect your human rights, so. It's just what you had for dinner. That's, yeah. We can just be clear about that, but it can give you some some feeling of, of reflection of like, okay, wait. And sometimes young folks might say, hey, did you really need to have the only vote in this situation? And sometimes adults and your families might say, uh, actually, you're right. I was kind of just power tripping. 
those things happen too because we are adults born into societies where sometimes we get power and we feel really ooh, i'm in charge you know sometimes we're trying to keep you safe and so that's why we make choices like mo some movies aren't okay for you to see but other times like you might have a good point hey fam i really i want to see this i want to learn about this and like give me a chance to talk about it yeah we're both definitely as parents are trying to um i don't know create a space where it's not like because I said so, um, it's more uh, be a reason. There's a reason. And it still winds up being because I said so, but this is why I said so. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I think our children deserve a, an explanation, especially when they're, you know, so smart as they are these days. Because I said so isn't valid to anyone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. it's like, what? okay, yes, you said it, but what is the reason why and how am I going to learn from it is what they're asking yeah. for, you know. Since you guys just mentioned being parents, I was wondering if you could share um, how old your kids are, sort of where you are as a parent and um, what it's like in your house. Yeah, for me, I have a 12-year-old, soon-to-be 13-year-old seventh grader uh, who is also in the Alphabet Rockers crew, Tommy T3PO, Shepard the Third. And uh, yeah, actually a lot of, I don't know, a lot of uh, the Alphabet Rockers music and adventure has been, uh, I don't know when, uh, the word isn't attributed, inspired by his experiences. Yeah, uh, some of his experiences throughout school have been, uh, you know, has inspired some of our music and some of our activities and, and videos and things. How old was Tommy when you started Alphabet Rockers? He was zero. Zero. <laughs> so I have a zero-year-old and a four-year-old. Oh, no, three and a half, but almost four um, in my family. And, you know, it's it's been kind of magical to do this work as an artist parent because I brought Kiran with us when we were doing like critical work in the field of like interviewing people, um, witnessing black empowerment work um, from other groups in the Bay Area. And there there was little Kiran running around um, absorbing all this legacy of leadership into his framework of who's in charge. And um, his voice you can hear on the first track of Rise Shine Woke, you can hear a little giggle. <laughs> as um, Mama Davis reminds us that you can start this work of anti-racism um, when your child is in the womb. And she was just talking to me about my baby in that moment. She was really reminding us that this education doesn't start in high school. It doesn't start when you feel comfortable. It starts when your baby is just cooking or when you first get that baby at the hospital or even before you know, if you're an adoptive parent, it starts in your relationship to receiving this child. There's so many ways you can start this work in connection with the young people in your life. My other one, little Zero, um, Jazzy, we call her now, um, was uh, in <coughs> my womb the whole time we recorded the love. <laughs> so um, that's kind of fun. And uh, Kiran has, uh, was in the studio with us and Uncle Tommy takes good care of him. And uh, we got him on the track using his voice. So you'll hear him on the first and last songs on the album. If you dig in, he says, Aww. someday, when he asks for change. You sang the lullaby from Hamilton for Kate on, on, on your snacks. Yes. 
y'all know Varid, who um, is a singer songwriter for young folks. And she did this blog once that said, yeah, our kids learn to love things in the world because we love them. Like when I play piano, my child sees me having so much joy with music that they think maybe music is a joyful place for me too. Um, I actually just think that's a beautiful metaphor um, that I drew. Like, how do I share my process with my with my children? How do I share like why I'm feeling a certain way? How do I share my endless commitment to human rights? And we do it every day. We don't hide things from them. Um, we process. My husband's working on um, fixing the racist housing system in the country. And so, you know, at the end of our days, we connect on those things. We integrate it. And so there hasn't really been anything too uncomfortable, except for um, when Kiran started wanting to play with cars. And I told him he couldn't play with the police cars because they show up in a lot of kids' books or in sticker packs. And suddenly you're like, ah, here it is again, police cars. And I don't feel safe is the word I use. I don't feel safe seeing these used as toys when oftentimes... Um, the system of, of policing has made black and brown folks unsafe in our country. And I keep it at that. And we don't want to make people feel unsafe. Um, and so they're not toys. And what do you think we should do with them? And, you know, three-year-olds facial expressions don't reflect what 40-year-olds faces <laughs> look like. So he's just staring at me and he goes and puts it away in a place that of toys that we don't play with. That's a great example of giving kids the power to be part of the decision-making process because you didn't say we need to put them away, put them away. You said, and you didn't say you can't play with that because I said so. Yeah. Right. <laughs> there it is. Oh, that's true. Sounds like you did it all right. <laughs> you know, I was going to give another example of uh, just like navigating uh, video games and things like that, uh, which, you know, have some violence in it and things like that. We have never really tried to hide anything from our son, so we really talk to him about things, uh, about guns, about violence, about what they're used for, about how they're misused, about how maybe they have been used for good, about, you know, <laughs> like how, you know, like violence, but violence is still violence. He had a really good hold on like what violence is and like all that thing. So we started to allow him to play the paintball games, the with the paintball guns and like you know on on the video games and things. You know, now he's playing all kinds of games like that because he un has an understanding of what it is and he he um it's not glorified for him that I'm just you know what I mean. It's like it's less, it's more of a victory that he's playing with his friends and like all of that stuff than he's actually like. Uh, committing violence and it's not like a what what's the word he's not like being dis desensitized to it his imagination knows that this isn't real and he knows what is real and my wife and I as parents understand that he understands that and that's how we approach what content or what things he can actually uh, take in you know because uh, uh, we, we think in age, oh, you're this age, you can't handle this. You know what I mean? Oh, you're this age, you can't handle this. But we we didn't. We we asked questions and we made sure he understood things before we actually showed things. And so he showed us that he has um, more of a maturity in that space. I mean, he's still 12, but, you know, uh, <laughs> but, you know, so like we let him play those games. 
uh, wouldn't recommend all parents do, but we have an understanding with him who we know has an understanding of it all, you know? I think also with like, when you send something as a parent that you're like, ooh, I want to talk about this, not sure how, it's okay to not talk about it in that exact moment. Um, it's okay to come back to your young people in your life and hold yourself accountable. So, hey, I actually saw something in a book that we were reading that actually made me not really feel good. It made me uncomfortable because I noticed that um, this is how they were portraying <coughs> the black characters. And it didn't make me feel good because I believe that black characters should be portrayed in um, a different light. Like there's there's ways that you can control the narrative of how you read. I think that's a huge part of like anti-racist parenting and that's the term of the day to conscious parenting doing the work whatever every culture mm -hmm. is going to have their own framework around it but there's you know we can't stop all the books and all the movies it's not about like shielding but it is about like the lens that you bring to everything so what do you notice in this book i remember reading with my niece who's now this amazing youth activist um when she was eight we were reading this book and it was about a native american it was like native american pictures this and that and i was like hmm let's take a look about the writer and see what they wrote because it says about the writer and it indeed it was a white person who was not i'm not going to say they were appropriating but it felt like they were using the stories of the community that they lived in and they weren't naming their relationship to it so we just noticed it. We read it aloud. We talked about it. And that's a, a tool. Do I know the answers? No. Do I notice something that makes me feel uncomfortable? Yes. And I'm committed. So I want her to also just say, hey, like when I read a book, let me think about who's writing this. Like, um, where's the truth lie in it? And um, I don't know. Those are just some some little tips. <laughs> yeah. Uncomfortable. I mean, hmm. I think both of you mentioned something which is that when we notice something problematic it's an opportunity to to talk about it and if you don't talk about it then you're you're not doing anti-racist work yeah. you're allowing it to continue silently you become part of the problem Right. Yeah. Yeah. You automatically become part of the problem if you don't talk about it. Well, what if you don't notice it, Tommy? Then yeah. how do we backtrack, do you think? I think you simply just go, oh, I didn't notice that before. I know it now. And so I know better. I'm going to do better. That's right. That's also very easy to say, but not very easy to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like an example of that, not with um, anti-racism work, but around inclusivity of gender inclusivity, which is anti-racist work, um, is the use of pronouns. And so a lot of times when, you know, we were on the come ups with the alphabet rockers, we'd say, hey girls, you know, I don't, we say maybe every once in a while, girls and boys, but that doesn't include everyone. And as soon as we know it didn't include everyone, we said, you know what, we didn't like how we used to do that. We're not gonna do that anymore. We say everybody. Yeah. This is where y'all comes in. Yeah. We we realized yeah. it was more than you guys in the room. It was more yeah. than us guys in the room. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's not to say that I still don't say it every once in a while. <laughs> it's just I'm aware of it when I do say it, and I try not to. And that's it. That's all I can do. Yeah. Absolutely.
and you may have spent many, many years of your life and your brain circuitry using other language that you're now coming to realize you can do better than. Absolutely. Totally. I'm definitely feeling that way. Trying to look at my brain circuitry when it has a default way of processing something or way of expressing something that is comfortable because I don't have to think about it or I don't have to work very hard to let it come out, but it's not the best. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. What what does it mean or what happens when we use words or we do something that causes pain in others? Well, yeah, I mean, I think in some ways this isn't like Tommy's work to do as a black leader, um, but white folks have been making heck of mistakes. <laughs> I don't know, Tommy, if that's how you're feeling is like, that's like how do white folks sure. hold ourselves accountable? Or, you know, I think it's just really about accountability. The question was about accountability, period. Like, in the gender um, sphere, um, for us, what the people that we spoke with and everyone that we engaged with from the community, from the queer community, the trans community, the non-binary community, uh, they all expressed that, that, um, that forgive yourself for what you have done and um just apologize and don't get all into your head about it because they're gonna that's what hurts them is you getting into your own head about it and not just simply just apologizing and letting it be an apology versus a defense mechanism all of these things transfer over to race into biases um it all trans translates to the same thing uh you know as far as like when i when i stopped saying you guys i was like only, I was just fully aware that I, that there's more than guys in the room and there's people asking <laughs> us to acknowledge them. And so if I say you guys, then I'm just not, not acknowledging them. You know what I mean? The same thing with boys and girls. Like, it was like, oh, you know, and then it took us a second. I would say boys and girls. And then I'd be like, excuse me, everybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I just correct myself and just keep it moving and not make a big deal out of it. Uh, I think that's what it is. But you only, you can only do that if you feel right about it. If you feel like there's something wrong, then you're gonna. It's gonna. It's gonna be worse. The apology ain't. It's not gonna be uh, sincere, and then it's gonna be defensive and all these things, and it's gonna be energy. But if you really are interested in keeping it moving, then you would just apologize and keep it moving. I like you, Tommy. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> <laughs> one thing like it comes back to some basic stuff for us like how do you how do you get uh, received in a room how do you feel like you belong those are like pretty simple things that hold so much complexity so when you say somebody's name correctly in the way that their family says it that is a way of honoring their space in the world um, a lot of folks have compromised um their interest in pronouncing people's names correctly and so you know first day of school it's hard you get 30 names and you have to sort it but when it's the fifth day of school and the teacher doesn't say your name correctly or they're mixing up the two kids who um are not white that's when you realize the school was not built for me and so how do you as a as a parent or teacher um make that kid feel safe i mean that's that's really hard because the those kids' families will know that you may or may not be really about their child thriving in this world. And that's some really deep stuff that we hold in our 
our racial trauma as white people too. And it's usually white folks that are the perpetrators of that. So I'm just saying that. But yeah, learning to say someone's name correctly makes them feel like they belong. Um, and I also feel like, yeah, if you mess it up, one thing that is really cool is all of our phones have a little voice memo thing in it. So, hey, would you mind saying your name one more time? And then I'm going to play it back and it's going to sound so amazing. And you can record a child's voice saying their own name so beautifully. And you can make a song about it or you can celebrate it. You can listen to it on repeat until it feels yeah. good in your, your mouth too. Yeah, at least as a teacher, you could that's a tool for you and you can actually go home and figure this out you know throw it into a file and use it and then that's actually making things extremely more experiential for all of your students than some of your students that's such a beautiful way to welcome people into your life whether you're a teacher in a classroom or a parent meeting new kids or a kid meeting new kids if you were a young kid, or if you were a parent working with a young kid and thinking about how do you think about identity or how can you ask some questions or do some explorations that would help a kid think about their own identity or notice their own identity, what kinds of things could you ask or do? If you're trying to think about what identity is, yeah. it's about, it starts with I. I am, and the list goes on. You are many many things you're made of so many beautiful parts of the world people who love you inspirations cultures genders legacies there's so many ways that you are you but identity is is in your words it's who i am identity is who you are yeah that's exactly what we do as alphabet rockers is you know we always say we're like want you to be able to uh, acknowledge and stand up for and be your brave and beautiful selves, be yourselves. And as soon as you can be yourself, someone else can love you. Um, and so so it's always been about identity. Dang, y'all just cracked something. Um, <laughs> it's always been about like Get identity. that ear snack. But yeah, that ear snack. Thanks for that snack. Cause <clears throat> yeah, it's a capital I like now. Like it's just how, like how many, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tree. Identity is a tree. So how many roots does identity have? It has the identity of me, who I am, a black man, coming from the culture that I'm in. It has the root of Caitlin being who she is, coming from that. It has all these roots. Identity is a tree. Yo, that's nice. Um, I'll say this. Five-year-old Caitlin would see identity um, through I am a sister. I am a friend. I am from the North and the South because it was a big thing growing up how divided my family was around our relationship to my dad's experience in the South and my mom's experience in the North, which is a lot of stuff that keeps unfolding. <laughs> but that's what I would say probably as age five. And there's an amazing poem that um, really helped me find myself as a young um, girl at 14 recognizing that what whiteness was for me and that poem um, well there's first the one called ego trippin by nikki giovanni which set me in my sights on amazing because that poem explores the incredible unstoppable irreplaceable brilliance of black women and so when i heard that poem i thought okay I get it. Like my life is reflection of the black woman's 
history. Like I can't separate myself when I know this to be true. Like, where am I in that legacy? Like, where am I? That's not saying anything about me being any close to being a black woman in my lineage. It's saying that the poem had the strength to show me who I was. And there's another poem by a Puerto Rican um, writer whose name is Rosario Morales. It's called I Am What I Am. And I, when I read this poem, which y'all, I'll send it to you, but like, I am what I am. She never stops. Like, there's not one thing. There's not one way. Um, you can't take it away from me. Like, I am me. Um, and it's the, it's a glorious celebration of I ams. And so when we like one of the songs and one of the questions we actually ask, um, ask folks is like, you respond, I'm a star. So when people say, what are you? You say, I'm a star. There's a million stars in the sky and they're all unique, right? Um, so you can certainly identify your story within that. Also, when is it important to know how other people identify and when is it none of your business, right? Because sometimes people may have a little bit of curiosity about, mm, well, where did you come from? And da, 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 and the questions come off like, mm, I don't belong here mm. because you need to fit me in your frame. So those are some good stuff. It's complicated. And um, that's more for the parents of like figuring out like why, when are we curious about someone's identity and mm. when should we just do that work on our own family so that we really can embrace like the tough stuff. Like I have some really tough stuff in my history that I mm. am reckoning. You know, I, w I wish I could remember the person who told me a while back that if you get close enough to someone, they'll eventually tell you their identity. <laughs> if you really want to know, <laughs> you know, uh, if, yeah, if, that's not the that's not the first question you ask someone. Neither is what do you do, you know? Uh when you meet someone, it shouldn't be the first question or the second question. You should get to know someone and then they'll tell you their identity. Tommy, you said something about when you go in front of an audience, something about why you're there together. Mm. Oh, and and how you're accountable to your audience. Mm. And that accountability includes um, not making assumptions about them and it includes giving them the chance to share identity if they want and not share identity if they want and the responsibility to understand and see and hear that. Um, and I, I like thinking about that accountability um, to each other, just as people, as a parent and a child, as a performer, um, as, as a, a teacher, as a partner, as a partner. Yeah. 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 Um, does identity change or is identity fixed? And how is it different from you've also used another word, Caitlin used the word history or histories. I think identity is ever changing because of what we're talking about. Like as far as like history, we know our history um, history, some things we don't want to repeat, so we try to change things. There's parts of our identity that are that are put on us as we become older, as we grow up with siblings and friends and things. It, there's identity that is put on you that you're a boy because you like to do these things, or you're a girl because you like to do these things. That's identity, and and so as a grown 
40 something year old now i understand like my identity as not like uh i'm positive i'm a boy but i know there's more i'm positive that my little sister is a girl but there's more um and so my identity has changed now because i'm different and as i get older and as i grow things happen and my identity changes uh because um i am now in widened my my lens is widened my thoughts are more open so therefore my identity has changed because someone who might have been not thoughtful about these things in his teenage years is no longer that so now my identity is different that's how i see it can i get some of that <laughs> that's brilliant mm. this is i think a cool opportunity to segue a little bit into the work that you're doing with Alphabet Rockers specifically. Yeah. One thing that we talked about in our prior conversation was uncomfortable moments that y'all have had um, with the group, like making decisions to do something very risky or very bold. And, um, and I wonder if you could speak a little bit about how the group's identity has changed from when you started out together 13 years ago <laughs> and some of those challenging risk-taking moments and the benefit or the 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 thing that has transformed as a result of deciding to take that risk hmm. okay i'm just gonna say this everything that we've done as far as risks has always had a thrice fold reward um and even more I'm saying because even if we are uh, become aware of someone who doesn't want us there, that's a reward because now we know where you are. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think like all the things we've risked hasn't, you know, it's not, we need to risk more. Like, that's what I'm saying is like, we need to be more risky because we always think that a risk that we are having, once we're on the other side of the risk, hmm. it's not a risk at all. And so that's why we want to think bigger as far as risk and what, what we're doing. Because, you know, when we started putting the Black Lives Matter uh, sign on, on our sets that, you know, we thought that was risky. And then it wasn't because it was just who we are. And then it wasn't. When we talked about race and, and um, black skin and skin color and all that stuff, we thought it was risky. But it, on the other side of it, it's not that risky. You know, it's necessary. It's necessary. We, 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 you know, we take risks and turn them into what's necessary we, because like the risks that we take always wind up not being as strong of a risk as we thought it was going to be. So I guess what I'm saying is, and we think you're making a, uh, a risk or taking a risk, take a, like, make it bigger. So if you're going to really risk something, then see like, like what it is, you know, because, uh, what we thought was risky and the places that we've been and the, the people have spoken out against against what we're doing is very small compared to the people that that have really opened up to it and really wanted to expand their knowledge and their their consciousness and their bias and understand their biases in a way um, that includes everything that we're talking about. So, um yeah, we, we actually haven't had very many pitfalls besides people wanting uh, to know if we were going to be appropriate because we are hip-hop. Um, 
Like, are you singing? I know you're coming here with kids' music, but it's hip hop, so is it appropriate? You know, <laughs> so yeah, what is, that? is the is the language going to be appropriate? The language we got we got that question in the beginning, but that's something we've also overcome. So some things that we see as risk or people see as risk isn't even risky, and the things that we are risking doesn't even become as strong of a risk on the other side of it. Yeah. When you're thinking about people who might resist or be concerned about messaging and words that the alphabet rockers use, um, what do you say to somebody who thinks of words that are talking about, you know, race and honesty and, you know, and freedom of identity and expression when they think of that as indoctrination of some kind? Like, why do you think somebody could, like, what do you say to somebody who has that idea? How can that idea be turned around? I think a great question when you're facing adversity around, you know, just your deep love of humans, which is what our music is, Mm -hmm. um, is I wonder what makes you ask that question. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Because I wonder is it's not pointing a finger. It's not wagging a finger. It's actually just inviting you to do some work because sometimes the questions that come are they already have already decided something. So when somebody's already decided, you can just say, I wonder what makes you think, think that. Hmm. Yeah. That's, you know, same thing is when, um, yeah. When someone says, Oh yeah, that person was, uh, probably arrested or treated that way because they're probably causing trouble and the simple question is what is it about that person that you think they were causing trouble and that the answer to that question is inside of that person you're asking yeah and i think when we can talk about like the risks that we have taken as artists um the only risk we've really taken is um amplifying other voices like it and making space and that's just necessary and so when i think about as parents and you know parents are are creative in so many ways right now and really this time of like being in lockdown and having to reinvent school and all these systems it's like i know it's it's really hard on everyone in their own ways and a lot of stuff comes up in families and um and the creativity um is the same unlocking like what is possible in our creativity as families uh what risks you know when we talk about risks or trying something new which is what risks are like what has not worked for you in your family um Mm. around you know appreciating black culture honoring black contributions to the art and music and textiles and all the things in your home looking at and i'm speaking um specifically to my own cultural background. So um, like looking at like things that, you know, family photos, like what was happening in that photo that year? Like who Mm. was, who was honored? Who was, uh, you know, disserviced by that? You know, anything, you can have a context and story that it is a risk to go into your own body and go into your own past. Like that's actually a big work. And sharing that with your elders like it's not just with your kids it's with your elders it's with your cousins and like a lot of people have evolved and some haven't so maybe there's a relationship you've had with a cousin that no longer needs to be in the same way 
So your risk is like, let's try doing this different. Like actually want to use this language around, you know, when we talk about people and then see how that goes. Cause there's lots of patterns that people just repeat just cause they think they're supposed to repeat them. And actually you can find new ways to be together. Um, and if you can't, maybe it's just time for a sacred pause as <laughs> some people say, oh, just take a pause just to take care of self. And that is some radical love too, because you got to take care of your children in the most precious way. And your children are not the only ones going through this. Caitlin, you mentioned something in our last conversation about a fear that you have about what will happen mm-hmm. over the next year. Absolutely. As we are all in our homes in different communities. Um, and I think we should talk about that and then what you hope to accomplish with the anti racist work. Is that, that elephant came in? <laughs> oh, that <laughs> elephant came in. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, my big fear, specifically around COVID, what I noticed is everybody in the Bay Area, we were in shelter in place since March 14th. And within a couple of weeks we were up online and zoom and connecting with each other. But I noticed still like we are a, a unique uh, community where people are going to come together and we already know each other. So we can build from there. We can go deeper. But when I think about communities all over the country, now we've toured all over the country and there are people like us everywhere there. So I really like one thing that I love about um, our experiences that we've been able to have so many connections like we can walk into a classroom in East Lansing Michigan and the kids speak our language they understand they feel seen they feel loved they're rising up you know the teachers are already in the hook of it they got it so we're just there to reflect the great work and the great empowerment of every person in that room that's one example of many there's other classrooms that we've walked into where the teachers are afraid of us. They um, think we're threatening. They think we're um, going to take their rights away. They want to build a wall, which, by the way, is, um, you know, it's unconstitutional to treat people like this. So we have to walk and stay, say what we need to say. So I want to say that anyways. Um, what do we say to these folks? We will either sing this song or we will not perform. That's our bottom line. And that's the risk we take. We will risk our business for human rights. So my fear about COVID is just that as we get isolated and isolated and pot up and pot up, we only look for familiar, usually around class lines. Um, and there's not going to be much mitigation of um, what it feels like to be the only or what it even feels like to not be seen or to not know anybody that doesn't just look like the people that you know. And so in some communities that are, um, let's say there's like a all white community. Well, the investigation that needs to happen during this time is when did our community become all white and what are we doing about it? Because anything that is surrounded by white people, there's a problem. Some there's been redlining, there's been secret votes, there's been, um, justices on the court making decisions um, in our history. And it's really not that long ago, like within your generation, within my generation, within my father's generation. Um, So during this time, the positive things we can do as adults is we can really examine where we live. We can look at whose land we're on. We can work with indigenous um, communities and look at what ways we can pay back our land. 
we can also look into this. This is for affluent folks who are looking at how about how to do better. We can look at um, how can we make more space for affordable housing? What provisions do we need to show up so that people can live and have access to our school district? That's what how segregation continues to this day. Uh, those are things that are actually you could do small small actions around. Um, and then as families, I mean, it's just got to be like looking at what resources do you bring into your home and like what is familiar? What is what becomes familiar in the next year is going to dictate something for your child over this time? What is comfort um, and why? And so like how can you create space? And we invite you into the Alphabet Rockers community. We are all about more is better, you know. Um, we want to share our stories with you. We want to hear yours like can you write your story while you're there? Can you find a way to find a new pen pal? Can you read a story or a book from somebody from a different city? Um, when you get off your Zoom chat from school, what's the f who's the first image you look at to remind you that this is not the only kids in the world? Hmm. Just some ideas. Yeah, what she said. Oh, <laughs> You are listening to Ears. Stacks for parents. So I know y'all are planning this anti-racist curriculum for families. Yeah, it's called We Got Work to Do. We got work to do. We do. We got work to do. Okay, so the work is for both parents and kids. Yeah, for sure. We believe in intergenerational work. Uh, it's definitely intergenerational because it's not just about the kids or the parents. It's about their parents and their parents and the patterns of all of their parents, <laughs> you know. Uh, so what we are doing is just an engaging course that is going to really open your mind to being anti-racist. It really is um, something you can do with your families. And we're really just all about celebrating your identity, which we talked about earlier, being your brave and beautiful selves. And once you can actually understand yourself, then you can actually understand others for who they are. And so that's where we're really headed with, with this course. We start, we're starting off with a mini course that we're offering. And it really is a way to engage with your kids and kids to engage with their parents and ask questions that, I don't know, might seem uncomfortable. Um, but really what we're trying to do is, is like make it seem like it's not so uncomfortable to talk about these things. And so the more and more we create these songs and curriculums and videos and all these all of these ear snacks, <laughs> the more like people just understand that there's no one way to figure it out. There's no one way to, to do it. There's no one way to be active. There's no one way. So that's, that's what this course is going to do, is going to really try to open people's minds to, to search for more answers and to do better and know better. And from knowing better, be better. And what we know is that um, being anti-racist is lifelong learning. So... When you take a course with Alphabet Rockers, when you come to a show, it's not like we want to give out a badge even to anybody in the crew. We are all just humans trying to do better. So when you sign up for the Alphabet Rockers mini course, um, which is called We Got Work To Do, you get a chance to dance together. You get a chance to ask some critical thinking questions. You get just like just openings. You know, um, you get to listen to our kids talk about racism. They're 11 and 12 years old. They've... Um, develop their own way of talking about what they've seen and felt and advocated for. There's that word again, advocate, uh, advocated for in their lives. And um, you'll get to see how that can 
take place in a conversation, which is mostly what we're doing in, in shelter in place or with, with, another, with our communities. Lots of talking. Right? Or through dance and, right. s- and song. And so Tommy's going to teach you how to make a beat with a Sharpie. And, you know, you'll learn uh, some of the rhymes and raps that the kids and uh, the rockers have been writing. And we just want you to show up and witness, hear your own voices back, make your own work as a family, and then we'll regroup and we'll keep going. We can get to know each other better and make the world better for each other. And one of the things the Alphabet Rockers mini course is going to do uh, is it's really going to challenge oppressive language. It's going to challenge uh, systems and how they work. Really, we talked about advocacy earlier. We're modeling it. We're modeling those things and we're showing how we do those things. We're not saying this is how you do it, but we're showing you how we do it. And this is what we do. And we're actually challenging you to, to stretch and do these things and, and uh, you know, take this starting point for like, um, you know, a way to engage in meaningful conversation. And take ease as you do hard work. Um, and know that like you're doing the work that, you know, millions of people have done for hundreds of years. So you're not alone with any of it. And if I think what we're eventually going to find is that families who take part in these courses are actually like, I want to meet the other families. Like I want to activate with you. Mm. So Mm. we know who we are when our, when our audience says we need this, we create it. So this is just a step towards connection. It's a step towards moving together and then find a buddies to share ideas together, almost like you're having a backyard party with someone from another community. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and it reminds me of some of the folks in my life, white folks in particular, that um, are saying, <laughs> not you, Caitlin, um, that are saying, yeah, like, uh, <laughs> not y'all either, <laughs> that are saying, oh, you know what? Check this out, man. I did this thing, man. I did this for you, you know? And I'm like, that's great. I'm not going to give you a trophy. I'm just going to give you a break. <laughs> You know, mm. I'm like, you don't get a trophy. Don't give yourself a trophy. Give yourself a break and then get back to it. You know what I mean? Don't forget what you just did. Because, yeah, you're not. Because it's not done. Yeah. And you know the feeling when you got out this year for the family Black Lives Matter protest, when you saw there were hundreds of other families all over the country that were taking their kids out of masks for the first time because it mattered that much. It was like, there's so much pain in like getting out and recognizing and acknowledging what has been going on. There is a comfort in knowing that a lot of people are doing better, that are saying it's enough. So I think that's the the only trophy you get. It's just that you're not alone and that's all you need. This word activate and this word activism and being active, I think are, I was so heartened to see so much of it and I want it to continue. And I know that um, there are a lot of families out there that want to keep participating in the work. And I hope they will do the Alphabet Rockers course and I hope they will continue to be out there at protests. I hope they will continue to do the work 
Maybe take a break, but get back to it always. Definitely. I know, Tommy, you have this activity with a Sharpie, which is one way that you can be active that um, might be interesting to kids. And I know you're going to do some of it in the course. And I was wondering if you could share a little bit with our listeners now as an activity that they can do um, wherever they are. Sure. The lesson is merely about, like, I, I'm i going to use an imaginary Sharpie. <laughs> yeah. Because I was saying I use this Sharpie. What do we usually use a Sharpie for is to maybe make a poster, a protest sign, write a note, say some things. So I actually use that Sharpie to create a rhythm and make a beat that actually made my son, Tommy T3PO, and Kali, his best friend, write a song to that beat about racism in their schools. It literally was just a beat I made on a pounding on a table with a Sharpie. Sharpie, small thing turned into a rhythm, small thing that turned into a song, big thing that turned into everybody understanding what these two kids are talking about. get more people to say the same thing then the voice gets louder you can all whisper it a hundred thousand people can whisper something will be louder than one person yelling you know absolutely we can add our voices together and make something new mm-hmm hey hey absolutely the big piece I want folks to leave with is that the work, the work of being anti-racist and being this never-ending advocate is both being honest about the systems that are, acknowledging them, dismantling them, making change to them, but also creating and building a new way of being, which is a liberation space. If you're coming from a privileged space, you are merely listening and witnessing and advocating for that to be, even if it's not something that your family necessarily understands yet. And so I think something to look into is like abolition um, teaching. If you're looking at your teaching frameworks for your your teaching at home this year, that's a great resource. Um, You can follow those hashtags. And also, yeah, get in the movement with us. I want to show up. I want to up show. Ah. <laughs> now you're using the power of language to confuse me. <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. That's a, actually just you saying that is actually something that a lot of people should say out loud, you know, because then it might be brought into some real existence if you say it out loud. On a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you both for being willing to talk with us. Yes. Yeah. Y'all are awesome. Educating us and sharing with our listeners the work that you do, the work you have been doing, the work you plan to do, the work you hope others will do also. Um, yes. Thank you. Thank you.
And that's our show. Thank you so, so much to Tommy Shepard and Kayla McGaw from Alphabet Rockers for having conversation with us. And for inspiring us with all the work they're doing as parents and as people making music for families. They are modeling the work that we as parents and people making music for families can try to aspire to. The music on this episode is from Alphabet Rockers' Grammy-nominated album, The Love. Don't forget to check out Alphabet Rockers and their anti-racist course, We We Got Got Work to to Do, which you can find on their website, alphabetrockers.com. Alphabetrockers.com. If you are interested in being on Ear Snacks or telling us what you think about this episode or our ideas, please let us know at earsnacks.org. Earsnacks.org. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you so much for having the hard conversations with your kids. Yeah, the uncomfortable conversations. Sometimes comfort is just another way of not doing the work, and we want to do it. One thing I found when talking to our kids about it is that it was hard to think about how to start, but it wasn't so hard once we started we had already started and it makes me think of what Tommy and Caitlin shared which is the minute they chose to do something uncomfortable or something challenging in a show they had already chosen to do it they had already gotten out there and not to shy away from risks yeah because it turns out once you take them you find out they weren't that risky to begin with and they're already in your past yeah yeah so thank you so much for what you're doing at home with your kids Um, Thank you for sharing it with us. Those of you who are interested in being in a series of episodes about racial justice, Black Lives Matter, and making this kind of change, please make sure you volunteer. Please let us know at yoursnacks.org. All right, Polly. Back to being in the pandemic with our kids. Yeah. I mean, outro. Are we outroing now? Yeah, I'm out. I'm outro. Oh, this is your outro. I'm outro right now. Oh, yeah. see you later, Tro. Just, I'm just saying this is hard. <laughs> this is. It's true. But it was nice being in a studio with you for some minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe like 14. Yeah. Let's try right, it again. Before I came up here, the baby actually pooped up her whole back. <laughs> we just left him down there by themselves. <laughs> just kidding. For themselves. Just kidding. And I did the diaper before I left. <laughs> I did not leave my mom with the whole mess. You give me a little credit as a human. Yeah.